last week, my wife and I, uh, you know, we were both tired, fighting a little cold. And uh, we said, let's just relax. Let's just watch a little TV. And, you know, we have Netflix. And so we said, well, let's just let's just kind of sift through the uh, the documentaries because we're nerds. And I like to watch things about World War Two. And, you know, does anybody else like to watch those things? Come on. All right. A few of you. Good. That's why you're here. Um, you know, it's not Jesus or anything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and, you know, we land on this one and she looks at me and she's like, think we can watch this? Never say never. Have you seen it? Come on. How many of you seen it? Liars. There's more than that. All right. Well, well, maybe you haven't. It's a documentary about the life of Justin Bieber. And um, and so over the next two hours, we were just uh, we were committed. You know what I'm saying? It was it was uh, it was an interesting experience. But, you know, there's one thing that just blew me away about his whole story, his whole experience. Maybe you don't know much about him, but, um, you know, teen idol sensation, whatever uh, singer, you know, he's a very talented kid. And, uh, you know, one of the things that just blew me away about him is I think it was in within a year of him, uh, you know, kind of coming on the scene. Um, his concert sold out Madison Square Garden in 22 minutes. 22 minutes. I mean, that's crazy, you know. And uh, I, there was this lady there. It was she's probably like 45 years old, you know. And she's like, she's like, I would drive a hundred miles on the video, you know, to see Justin Bieber again. Again, she just saw him, you know, to see him again. And then she looks at the camera. She's like, No. A thousand miles. I would drive a thousand miles. And I'm just watching this thing with my wife and I'm thinking to myself, devotion. And I'm, th- I'm thinking devotion. I, you know, I started realizing that we as a people, we as a race, the human race, we are created to be devoted. Something inside of us longs for devotion. It longs, you know, for, for just this, this deep-seated, you know, commitment to something. And, you know, the thing is that for whatever reason in our culture... We have decided to become thoroughly devoted to things that are thoroughly irrelevant. We've decided to become devoted to things that have no eternal consequence, no long-term significance. So you've got people that are deeply devoted to the type of shoes they wear, deeply devoted to the type of car they drive, deeply devoted to the type of clothes they put on, all these deeply devoted to Justin Bieber because I know he loves me too, right? This is the type of devotion that we have in our culture. I remember as a kid... I was pretty devoted to basketball. I was on my way to the NBA, had scouts looking at me when I was like nine. Not true. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, but I was pretty devoted either way, even though I was not that good. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I was, I was devoted and I was a pretty big Michael Jordan fan. Does anybody else like Michael Jordan? You know, and so I would watch Michael Jordan. I remember the day I was uh, at a friend's house, um, actually at my pastor's house at the time. There were tons of us kind of packed into this room and it was game six of the playoffs against the Utah Jazz. And he's, uh, you know, Michael Jordan has the ball. There's like, I don't know, whatever, 10 seconds left. And uh, Byron Johnson, or Byron, whatever his name is, is guarding him. Duke would know. Where's Duke? What's his name? Russell. Thank you, Brian Russell. And, uh, and so anyways, and so, you know, he, he, uh, Michael Jordan hits this shot to win the game, you know. And I remember just jumping to my feet, like, ah! boom, my hand hits the ceiling fan. Ah! Boom, my foot smashes a glass. Ah! And I'm standing there like my hand is like throbbing. My foot is like, you know, all, you know, smashed a glass. And I'm like, ah, ah. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't think he's going to call. I don't think Jordan's going to be like, dude, are you okay? Hey, I'm, I'm worried about you, man. Are you all right? You know, I don't think he's going to call me and check on me. And what I realize is I'm devoting myself to someone and to something that really is not reciprocating here. You know, he's not sending me checks. He's not checking in on me. He just doesn't care. 
And, you know, we're heading into Super Bowl season, you know, and it just happens to be the two most popular teams in this region. And, uh, and you know, people get crazy, right? I mean, they get nuts. I'm in Stop and Shop the other day looking for some crazy thing. I don't know about you, but I get lost in Stop and Shop every time I go into Stop and Shop, okay? So for me, I have major Stop and Shop issues. I called Joe Jacobs. He worked at Stop and Shop for like 75 years. So I call him and I'm like, Joe, I'm not even lying. I call him almost every time, Joe. And my wife sends me out. It's not like go get milk. I could handle that. It's like go get crushed coconut. I could be in there all day. So I have no pride. I'm just like looking, asking everybody. Finally, some lady, like a mom with her two kids, she's just like, let me show you. And she just like walked me over and showed me and got me the coconut. So anyways, I'm, I'm looking at all the different options for the coconut. And I'm sitting there and uh, the guy on the loudspeaker comes on chuckling. He's like, <laughs> he's like laughing. He's like, welcome to Stop and Shop, the home of the Super Bowl to be, or whatever he says, like champ New York Giants. You know, like he's like talking junk on the loudspeaker over, you know, over the stop and shop. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is nuts. We live in a culture that is so deeply devoted to things that, you know, they just don't care about us guys, right? They don't care about us. Some of you still think he does. No, he loves me back. No, he doesn't. He doesn't, right? And what what I've become convinced of is that we as a culture, and you may not realize this or understand this, and I've just been becoming more and more aware of it, we've had a very manipulated, uh, distorted view of devotion. And it comes from the last 75 years, really a long history of, of crooked devotion. But especially us in this day and age, 2012, our ideas about devotion are very uh, twisted, you know. And you start to look at relationship devotion, right? Devotion to relationship. And all through the 50s and 60s, you know, now that you've got two parents working, divorce rates uh, rapidly, you know, increased for me. You know, the, the, the male figures in culture were, you know, Homer Simpson and, uh, and Al Bundy. You know, I mean, like these are the guys that like were dads that I was looking into, you know, and, and, and that's the type of culture that we come up with. And, you know, um, you get all this stuff happening and, and families just fall apart in an instant, right? And there's just no idea about a deeper devotion a deeper commitment something greater than ourselves or our own happiness right and the whole thing just doesn't make sense i remember a little while ago i was uh at a nursing home and i'm talking to this guy and he was telling me about him and his three brothers who were in world war ii together so four brothers total in world war ii and he's talking about how you know they all made it home and how you know i was just thinking man how how was your mom feeling during that time you know it's just unbelievable and i I have to be honest okay i'm just going to make a sinful confession to you In the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't really want to be drafted, you know. I don't want to go die for a country. Like, I want to... I want to live and hang out with my kids. You know, like I'm thinking, and my wife is awesome too. And, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, I don't want like, I don't know if I'd ever want to go to war. And then it hit me like, I'm a licensed minister. I can opt out. Somebody drops a nuclear bomb. I could just, and I'm thinking these thoughts to myself, like, you know, while he's telling me his story about World War II. And I realized as I'm thinking these thoughts to myself, like, you know, we have a pretty different idea of devotion than what they had just just a generation ago. What it means to be devoted to something, devoted to a purpose, devoted to a greater cause, devoted to something that's bigger than yourself. Where if you've been around for the last few weeks, we're talking about normal and we're walking through uh, the book of Acts and looking at different passages in the book of Acts and trying to redefine what normal Christianity is supposed to look like, right? And if you were around for the first week of this, we talked about normal power and how we have to receive it, right? Active receiving. You guys remember this? And we have to receive the power that God's given us, but it's normal for us to have frequent displays of his power. Uh, we were in, um, where were we? Brooklyn on Friday night. Uh, we did an event in Brooklyn. I preached and uh, we played music and it was an awesome night of ministry. And uh, I had a word of knowledge in the middle of that service about a guy who had shin and, and knee problems and uh, 
he, you know, he received prayer and he was completely and totally healed of his problems. He walked in with intense pain. He walked out with absolutely no pain. I mean, that, isn't that cool? That's a frequent display of God's power. God touched him and healed him because there's a God who still touches and heals when we ask him and seek him. And so, you know, frequent displays of his power is normal. In week two, we talked about this idea of worship and how our worship should supersede circumstance, right? It should elevate above. We looked at Paul and Silas and how we should elevate above circumstance because of our devotion to Jesus and our desire to worship him. And then week three, we talked about hearing the Holy Spirit and walking with God. And I tried to demystify this thing last week that says that it's so hard to hear God, right? We looked at the fact that it's not that hard to hear God, that the Holy Spirit actually has wired us to be able to hear him. And today I want to look at this idea of devotion. And here's my fear, okay? My fear is that we in this room, this new plant, this city church plant, the people that are sitting here that can hear me right now, have accepted or embraced or maybe tolerated a postmodern, non-biblical concept of devotion. My fear is that you've created in your own mind because of whatever it was, the Justin Bieber mania culture, because of the, the you know, relationship deterioration culture, because of the non-nationalistic culture, all the different things that happen around. Some are good, some are bad. I understand that. But because of the pool that we're living in, our ideas of devotion are not at all New Testament standards, and it hinders us from receiving New Testament results. Are you seeing this today? And so what I want to do today is I want to look at Scripture... And I want to begin to redefine this idea of devotion. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am devoted. Come on, have a little fun with me. Say, I am devoted to redefining devotion today. I am devoted to redefining devotion. And you can say, why the heck does he keep making us say things? You can say that to them as well. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Just having a little fun. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, if you've ever heard anybody preach about the book of Acts, specifically anybody preach about how the church should be in the book of Acts, there's one scripture that everybody goes to. I've had the privilege of going to hundreds of churches, and I can't tell you how many churches I have found that say, no, no, we're an Acts 2, 42 to 47 church. Like every church is an Acts 2, 42 to 40. Like every church says that's what we're built on. That's how we act. And that's good. I mean, I'm all for that. But then I look at Acts 2, 42 to 47, I'm like, uh... I don't see any of that stuff happening, though. Like, what exactly, what part of that, they, is the they part, is that what you're holding on to? Is that the part that you're kind of clinging? Because there's a lot of other things about that verse that I'm not seeing in the congregation. And so I understand that's what they're saying is that's their goal, their desire. But uh, I don't want to just read this as like the classic text for how church should be. What I want to do is I want to begin to actually apply it and try to get into the minds of the first century believers and start to think like them. Does that sound like fun? Woo! Acts 2, 42 to 47. Here we go. We read the whole thing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. Interestingly enough, that word attending is the same word for devoted in the first verse I read. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let's look at this a little closer, shall we? Let's start from the very beginning. They 
devoted. Now, I think it's interesting that everybody goes immediately to the stuff that they did without the reason or the substance or the manner in which they did it. And so today I'm going to focus less on all the things they did, although we'll hit those things. And I'm going to focus more on this idea of devotion and try to get in the minds and understand what is New Testament devotion. And what I want you to do throughout the course of this talk is I want you to mirror it up against your own life, okay? And I want you to say, what is my devotion like? And is it possible that maybe I've accepted some devotion paradigms that are completely unbiblical, all right? And so here we go. Let's look at this idea of devotion. It's a compound word. You can write this down if you like. Devotion is a compound word. It's two words put together in the Greek. The first part of the word is the word nearby, Okay, it's the actual word for nearby. The second part of the word is to be steadfast. It's the verb to be steadfast. Okay, so what it's saying is the devoted means to stay nearby, to stay nearby. Now, how many ever have ever waited tables, a waiter or a waitress, right? Now, I give an exceptionally larger tip to the waiter or the waitress who stays nearby, don't you? Who just like, not that they're hanging out the entire time, because like, dude, I got to talk to my friend, go away. But, you know, but they kind of have an eye on you, you know, and as soon as that glass makes that funny noise, they're like, oh. You need another another soda? You know, and they get right in there and they help you because they're staying nearby. What are they doing? They're attentive. They're devoted to you. I remember in high school basketball, there was this one kid named Matt and Matt played football and he ran track and he didn't know how to play basketball, but he was the most athletic kid in the human race. And so Matt decided to try out for the basketball team just to, you know, keep himself fit. And so Matt would play basketball, but he didn't know how to shoot, didn't know how to dribble, didn't know how to run. But, you know, that didn't matter. He was so devoted to guarding someone. It was their worst nightmare. Come here. Come on, how about there? It was their worst nightmare if they put Matt on you. Because I remember in practice, you know, you would be like, you'd be like, all right, all right, this is Justin and I'm Matt. And he'd be like, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's bring the ball in bounds. Okay. <laughs> and you're like, dude, get off me. You're sweaty. And, you know, I really don't want to be that close to you. And it's like, I'm never going to get the ball because you're, no, come on, stay up here, man. We're going to snuggle a little more. And, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not as fast as you and I'm not as, I can't, I can shoot. You can't even shoot, but it doesn't matter because I'll never get the ball because your sweaty body's all up on me like this. And it doesn't matter if I have the ball or not. You're just devoted. You're staying nearby. You can sit down. Good job. Excellent shot. Right. And so this idea of staying nearby, I have a two and a half. Well, he's going to be three in a couple weeks. Your old son, Noah, right? And the most favorite thing Noah likes to do when I run, get home from work or something is he runs up to me and you think he's going to hug me, but then he slides down and shoong, grabs onto my leg. And it's just like, hey, buddy, you know, and you're just dragging him. And what is he doing? He's just staying nearby. He's devoted. They devoted themselves. In Song of Solomon, in the book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, it's, uh, it's verse 115. The king, it's an allegory between God and us, the, uh, the Lord and his bride, the king and his bride in this passage. And so the king looks down at his devoted uh, wife, the woman that he loves. And he says to her, he says, you have dove's eyes. Dove's eyes. Now, I was, I was preparing for this. And I actually got online and I googled some doves and I looked at their eyes. I wouldn't want to be making out with a dove. I'm just saying, like, they have these little beady eyes, you know what I'm saying? They're like, you know, it's not like, dang, that's a good-looking woman with some bird eyes. Like, that's not what he was saying. Like, you know, it's not that she had dove's eyes literally, right? It's what he was describing was actually something very unique about doves. First of all, that doves are one of the birds that actually mate for life. That when a dove finds a partner, they stay together through the rest of their lives, which is oftentimes rare in the animal kingdom. And then another thing that's interesting about doves is they have no peripheral vision. So a dove can only focus, you see in this, on one thing at a time, right? They're devoted to whatever they're looking at. And so what he was saying is he was saying your level of commitment and focus on me is beautiful and pleasing to me. 
You know, God is so deeply pleased with us when we're devoted to him. So what is Christian devotion? Let me try to define it for you. Christian devotion is the daily habit of staying near God's heart. The daily, you can write that down if you want, habit of staying near God's heart. And those are important things. We're going to pick them apart a little bit in a minute. But daily, not like once a week on Sunday morning. That's the broken 2012 westernized version of Christianity that needs to be thrown away. It is the daily habit. You can even say moment by moment habit of staying near God's heart. And what did I else? I said it's a habit, right? Habits are things that we form that then become normal for us. And so we want to habitually make a habit of doing this. The first person that pops into my mind when I think about this scripturally is the Apostle John, right? John was one of Jesus' followers. And, uh, you know, the story that it's awesome that John all throughout his gospel describes himself as the, uh, the disciple Jesus loved. Like the other guys get the shaft, but I'm the disciple Jesus loved. You know, and so what he's saying is he's, he's talking about his own personal revelation of the love of God. And there's one great passage in scripture when Jesus says, one of you will deny me. And Peter, of course, wants to know who. But he didn't have the same level of intimacy and devotion as John did. So what did he do? He said, hey, John, you ask him who it is. And so John is already leaned up against the heart of Jesus, up against the chest of Jesus. He says, Lord, which one is it? And the Lord reveals to him that it's Judas. But he reveals it to John, the devoted one, the one who stayed near, the one who stayed close. You staying with this? Devoted. So what is Christian devotion? It's the daily habit of staying near God's heart. Now, let's look at the passage here. And they devoted. Remember, that's that word to stay near. They devoted themselves to what? To apostolic teaching. That's the first thing they devoted themselves, right? So memorizing, meditating, focusing on apostolic teaching. You know, it's sad. If we did a little survey in here, how many scriptures can you speak from memorization today? I bet the average would be like two. Mm, Okay. um, Tebow's got that one on his face. Uh, God so loved the world that, you know, I got that one. And then, you know, we're stumped after that. Oh, I can do all things through uh, Evander Holyfield used to wear that on his pants, right? Like I can do all things through Christ. So there's two. Okay, I got two. You know, and and so, you know, we just don't even have that type of meditation and consistent focus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, right? We talked about this last week, this idea of fellowship, partnership, walking together, to breaking of bread, which is, of course, the Lord's Supper, right? The breaking of bread into prayers. Now, what's the point of breaking of bread? There's a lot of different aspects of this. It's a very deep, rich truth. We'll get into it one day. But one of the things I want to highlight today is Jesus said, do this in... You can all have fun with me. Do this in... Yeah, remembrance. Why? Well, because we leak. We as people just leak. We do. Did you ever notice that about yourself? You're so focused on something and then a little time goes by and you're like what was it that i was even focused on right you just lose sight of what the grace of god the mercy of god it's so counterintuitive that god would love you so much so we just fight against it naturally so what do we have to do we have to consistently remind ourselves of his truth right i remind myself of all that you've done and so we see that there's this this circling around and you know what we would do today is we would like you know, quantify these four things. You do these four things and you're going to be a devoted follower. And, and I think if you do that, you're kind of missing the point because what, what he's saying here is he's saying that they just circled around these things. They were always doing them. They were devoted to them. They were devoted to apostolic teaching, memorizing it, focusing on it. They were devoted to fellowship, communing together. They were devoted, devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to prayer. These things were the things that they were deeply committed and devoted to. Devotion. Devotion. So I want to look today at two underlining, underlining, <laughs> underlying ideologies of devotion, okay? In other words, what inspires this type of devotion? 
All right. And, uh, you know, two devotion provoking truths. So you can write these down if you'd like Two devotion provoking truths, because my desire is as we meditate on these devotion provoking truths today, it would provoke. Yeah, you get it. Okay, so here we go. The first one, you can write it down. Number one is this truth that I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. That may sound simpler than it's than it, you know, it really is. But this idea that I belong to Jesus. And I want to read a passage in first Corinthians, second Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes chapter five. I'm going to read a couple of verses, verse 14 and 15. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for, I'm sorry, I messed that up, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me read it again because I jacked it up. And the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, think about this for a second. You, maybe you've heard of Abraham Maslow, right? And Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And he says that, you know, self-preservation, the need for food, water, shelter, these types of things are at the bottom of the needs of the human psyche, right? And so he says, you know, that you've got you've to solve these things before you can get to greater things, right? And there's certainly a, a certain level of truth there. But what we find is the gospel is actually countering this. And Christ shatters that by expressing his love for us, by uh, removing himself from those needs giving up his needs and giving himself for us. And then it says, you know, the love of Christ controls us. So what happens is you and I as Christians, check this out, get a glimpse of God's love. And when we do, something starts to control us. This deeper love controls us. Why? Because we've concluded something that he died for all. Therefore, I'm dead. I no longer live. I no longer belong to myself. I have in Christ's eyes and in my eyes by faith already ended the life of self. And now a new life is born. And it comes to this in a second. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. But a new life is born. And I now belong. Think about that word. Belong. I belong. That's a good and a scary side to that. Everybody wants to belong somewhere. I belong to Jesus. But then the scary side of it, that's the good side of this, this, this idea of acceptance. But the scary side is I don't belong to me anymore. But as we get this thing inside of us, when I internalize his self-sacrifice, it crushes my need to self-preserve. Hello? When I internalize his self-sacrifice, in other words, let me just try to break it down. When I understand deeply what he's done for me, it releases me from Maslow's little hierarchy of needs. And no longer do I have to have this great passion to self-preserve because I see one who is far greater than me who did not self-preserve for me. And so it empowers me to then give my life fully for him. That I would no longer, why? Because the love of Christ controls me. I got a glimpse of it. I see it. And now I no longer live for myself, but for him who died and rose again on my behalf. Maybe you heard of John Harper. John Harper was on the Titanic. He was a minister. He was on his way to, uh, to go to um, be a preacher in Chicago. And John Harper was there with his daughter on the Titanic. Obviously, the Titanic hits an iceberg, begins to sink. He gets his daughter on a life raft, and then he comes back on to the deck of the Titanic. He takes his life jacket off, and he gives it to somebody else. And then he begins to gather people to share about Christ and his love for them in the midst of an absolute tragedy, even treading water once the Titanic sunk in the freezing cold water. All that was on John Harper's lips was the truths of the gospel, and people came to Christ and trusted in Christ as they froze rose and died of hypothermia in that freezing water that night. And I think to myself, what 
would empower, what would encourage, what would enable a person to live like that in a, such a self-seeking, self-promoting culture that we exist in today? What would inspire somebody to live that way? He internalized it. The love of Christ controls me. I don't belong to myself anymore. I want you to meditate on that truth right now. Go ahead and close your eyes for a second. Go ahead and close your eyes just for a second. And I want you just to think about this fact that Christ owns me, that I belong to him, that to come to him is to give my life, that he died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. God, I just meditate on this truth that your self-sacrifice was so great that the only response is to sacrifice my life in return. What I'm telling you is that this is one of the underlying truths that provokes devotion. You can open your eyes now. Don't fall asleep. It's the underlying truth that provokes devotion, that I belong to Jesus. Let's look at one more. So the second one, uh, you can write it down if you like. The first one was, I belong to Jesus. It provokes devotion because you realize this isn't about me anymore. This isn't about my thing. Look at the second one. Um, and we're going to look at James 4, 8. The second one is that if I draw near to God, he'll draw near to me. Think about this truth. If I draw near to God, listen, I'm telling you, if the Christian church just simply believed this, everything about us would change. If I draw near to God, he'll draw near to me. I want to look at this a little bit. It says draw near, right? In James 4, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, right? In James 4, it uses this phrase, draw near. It's the active, which means you have to do it, right? I must draw near. The active imperative, which is a command. It says draw near to God. It's not an option. It's not like up for vote. It's if you want to be a Christian, you must draw near to God, right? So you draw near to God actively. You do it. And the promise says, and he will draw near to you. That's the future active future active indicative, which means the future is it is going to happen in the future. It will come. The active means he will do it. And this idea of indicative means it's an absolute fact. In other words, what he's saying, if you would just draw near, there is an absolute fact that he will draw near in response to your drawing near. Do you see what I'm saying? And some of us are like, well, God never speaks to me. Well, you're not drawing near. Well, yes, I am. Yeah, you're drawing near based on a 2012 jacked up postmodern, you know, selfish worldview that has that has informed your idea of devotion. And what I'm telling you is if you would abandon that and begin to draw near to God in the measure and in the stature that Christ and his apostles and those around him did, you will begin to see the results that they saw. I'm preaching really good. Somebody should be screaming or dancing or waving a hanky at me or something. I mean, that was, I thought that was awesome. Good job, Justin. Thank you. Oh, you know, in the promised land, in the, the Old Testament, right? The, uh, the people of Israel leave Egypt. They cross through the Jordan River. They leave Egypt. And, uh, and the, the journey from the edge of the, of, uh, not the Jordan River, I'm sorry, the Red Sea. The, uh, the journey from the edge of the Red Sea to the promised land should have taken them 11 days. Think about this. 11 days. Instead, it took them 40 years. That is, the, that is the expression of so many of our lives. That the things that God wants to do in our lives and in our hearts could just take us. It could be quick. God could heal you. Do you know God could heal you today? You know that God could work miracles in your life today? Do you know that you don't have to drag this thing along for the next 20 years? But for some of us, that's exactly what we do. And what could take 11 days ends up taking 40 years. 35 times in the book of Deuteronomy, he says to the people of Israel, go in and possess. Go in and possess. In other words, what I'm saying is you've got to initiate and draw near. And as you draw near to God, he will respond and draw near to you. We don't have to live in this distant, distracted way of living with God. We can actually to be close to him 
We can actually experience him, but it's going to take devotion. Christian devotion is the daily habit of staying near the heart of God. You know, the truth is we drift. We just drift. So it's got to actually impact the way you live. Let's get practical, okay? It's got to impact the way that you live. Christian devotion has got to have an actual life application. And you look at some people in the scripture. I want to look at a couple, and then we'll finish up today. Look at this guy, Daniel, you know, in the Old Testament. You can read the book of Daniel. It's an incredible book. And you see that he had this lifestyle of devotion. He wasn't a pastor of a church, right? He was a politician. He was a political advisor. So all of you who aren't pastors, you don't get off the hook, right? Because Daniel had this lifestyle of devotion. Most historians say he spent about two to three hours a day, three times a day, morning, noon, and at night, three times a day, seeking God in prayer and in worship. You look at Psalm 55, 17, you see David's habit. What was David's habit? David's habit, he says he met, he met the Lord in the morning, in the midday, and in the evening. So there was this devotion, this consistent lifestyle of devotion. You look at the apostles. They said we must devote ourselves in Acts 6. Same word. Stay nearby what? The word and prayer. We have to devote ourselves, right? In fact, if you look at every single move of God, every single supernatural move of God in the history of the human race, you will find that it was when a group of people, like this group of people in New Haven, Connecticut, actually became devoted. Not, you know, flaky, thin, you know, our version of devotion, but a deep biblical lifestyle devotion. You look at John Wesley, and I don't agree with everything John Wesley ever said, but you look at his life and the Methodist movement and all the things God did through him. You may not know who he is, but if you do, two hours a day was his norm. He'd spend two hours alone with God. You look at William Wilberforce, who, who uh, you know, he uh, basically, you know, brought in the abolition of slavery in, uh, in England. God used him in a great way. And he spent three hours a day, every day in the word and in prayer, seeking God. If you ever study what's happening in Bogota, Colombia, and the explosive growth of the church, you'll find that there's believers that gather every Every morning at 5 a.m. If you look at the transformation in Uganda or you ever you ever uh, just uh, interview the church leaders of Uganda, you'll find that there's been an incredible transformation of the, of the nation of Uganda by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they say everybody in Uganda understands that this thing is built on this lifestyle of devotion and prayer. I have a good friend. He leads the Boston Night of Worship in Boston, Massachusetts, named Zenzo Matoga. Maybe one day I'll drag him down here and get him to preach to you. But when I talk to Zenzo, I'm always challenged by what he just sees as normal. And he'll tell me about these fasts that he does or that he spent two days alone in prayer and all these things that for him, as a, he's originally from Africa, from Malawi, Africa, for him and his culture, what he brought up, that is just the way of life. And for us, it seems incredible and radical and devoted. But for him, it's just normal life. You look at any successful athlete and you'll find... I did that on purpose just to wake a couple of you up. Um, you'll find that they always devote two to three hours a day to the development of their athletic ability. You look at any successful musician that's gotten to the highest levels of musicianship and you'll find that they're consistently devoting themselves. They understand devotion. I remember uh, I was a senior in college and uh, it was a pretty stressful time in my life. It was uh, May. My college, my, my graduating year, I had to write this thesis that, of course, I had four years to prepare for. And I started it like, you know, a month before it was due. It's a hundred page thesis, you know. And, uh, and then I decided to get married right after I got out of college. And then we decided to buy a house with no money. And we also thought that would be a perfect time to start a nonprofit organization and launch into full-time ministry with no salary. And so it was a really busy season in my life. That, like, six weeks was just absolute mayhem. And I was stressed out beyond my, 
you know, capacity to contain it. And I remember just like literally falling on my face before God and saying to God, Lord, I do not have an answer for this. I am so stressed. There are so many things beyond my ability to manage. I am so bound with this. God, I don't know what to do. God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to help me. And you know, it's not hard to hear the Holy Spirit. I think I mentioned that last week. And I quieted my soul and I listened to the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I need a strategy. What, what do I do in this time of life? I'm so stressed. And the Lord said the exact thing that I did not want to hear. He said, double your time in prayer. I was already spending about an hour a day alone with God. And I thought to myself, no, that's a bad idea. So you understand that's actually the opposite, God. I was thinking you would say, like, I'm going to give you a million dollars or something to help me out with this whole process, but not double. And I just heard the Lord say it again, Justin, you need to double your time in prayer. And I remember wrestling with this paradigm shifting moment in my life. That intimacy with Jesus actually produces fruitfulness in life. And this idea of devotion, 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 it's going to be reflected in my time. And so I started wrestling with this. And I remember it was about 10 minutes of me just like, you know, wrestling by myself on my knees on my bed. And I finally said, fine. If I go down in a flaming blaze of glory, I'll go down doing this, God. Fine, fine. It's not on my homework. Fine, I'll just, fine. And I watched as God supernaturally met every single need as I devoted myself to prayer and to the word. It was an unbelievable experience. Unbelievable experience. Now, I'm not telling you to rob your family, okay? People hear a message like this and they say, okay, I'm praying all day. Sorry, kids. I'm not telling you to rob your work or lie about what you're doing. You know, cut out early so I can be devoted to Jesus. What I'm telling you is I'm telling you to sacrifice more of the time that you've been wasting every single day and devote it to seeking the face of God even when you don't feel it. I remember in 2007, I was preaching at a camp, a youth camp. There was a, you know, a bunch of kids there. You know, I, I, I preached these great messages. God really moved. It was a beautiful time. And I'm on my face. Everybody else is just uh, celebrating beyond uh, this campfire. Everybody's telling stories about how God touched him. And I'm alone on my face in this cabin just seeking God because I felt like the Lord wanted me to be there seeking him. So 2007, it was August. I'm, I'm on my face in this cabin by myself and I'm just worshiping God. I said, God, I don't know why I'm here. I'd rather be out there, but I feel like you want me to be here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to honor you. And I wasn't thinking about anything in particular. I was just worshiping and honoring God. And I felt the Holy Spirit just drop in me a challenge. Just spoke to me, said, Justin, I want you to fast TV for a year. Not the God of this age, Lord. I thought to myself, it was the first thought I had. I'm telling you, I'm not even that excited about sports or anything like that. But the first thought I had was, Lord, the Giants go to the Super Bowl. I'm going to be so bummed. That was the first thought I had. I mean, that's kind of a lame thought, but it was the first thought I had. And I felt the Lord just say, even if the Giants go to the Super Bowl. And I said, that's fine. They're never going to go to the Super Bowl anyways. And, uh, you know, that year they went to the Super Bowl, by the way, and they won. And I didn't watch it. I listened on the radio. And because I was committed, I'm telling you, I was committed. I was committed to devoting myself to what God challenged me to do. And so I said, yes, Lord, for a year I'll fast TV, no TV shows. No. And, I, and I just committed myself to this. And for a year I, I fasted TV. I cut that off of my life. We got rid of our cable, blah, blah, blah. And I watched as God blessed that extra level of devotion. And I want to give you a challenge this week, okay? 
I want to give you a challenge because it's nice to hear something like this, but it is absolutely useless unless you respond in devotion. What I'm telling you is that our level of devotion that we deem acceptable amongst ourselves is not the level that Christ desires for us, that he wants us to have a greater level of commitment, a greater level of devotion. You will seek me and you'll find me if you search for me with all your heart. Think about that. You can find him. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What I'm telling you is all you've got to do is devote yourself and he will come. He said, Justin, well, I don't hear his voice. Seek him. You know, well, he doesn't do anything in my life. Seek him. What is life for except to know God? Seek him. Shut the TV off and devote yourself. Turn Hulu off. Shut Netflix down. No more Bieber for a week. Commit yourself. Commit yourself to this devotion of seeking his face. I am telling you, this little community will begin to explode as we seek God. As we seek God, he will be found, he will be found, he will be found by us. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. In your, when you walked in, we gave you a little piece of paper, right? And it says, uh, one hour with God. And those are just some helpful hints for you to spend one hour a day with God. And for the next seven days, starting today, so I'll let you watch the Super Bowl, okay? Starting today, the next seven days, I want to challenge you to do two things. Number one, watch no TV, no computer TV, no YouTube for the next seven days. Cut TV out of your life. All right. Not just like cable TV, like all TV movies. Right. Um, you know, uh, anything you could watch on a computer. Now, I understand you got to do something for work. I'm not saying don't go on the computer. I'm not saying don't check your email. I understand that that has to happen. But entertainment based television. Okay. We all know what that means. Let the Lord convict you. But, you know, what I'm telling you is I'm asking you to challenge you to cut this out for the next seven days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay, and you can all wake up in the morning and turn the TV back on on Sunday if you want to. But I want to urge you for the next seven days to have the courage to devote yourself on a new level to Jesus. And then I want you to respond also by filling that time with one hour a day seeking the face of God in prayer and in the word. And you may say, well, I don't even know what to do for an hour. Well, that's why we gave you that little card. It's just going to help you get some ideas of what you can do in that time, right? And so I just urge you right now. I want to challenge you. The band can come up right now if they want. We're going to do one more song. But I want to urge you and I want to challenge you right now to begin to consider this fact, this truth, that as you draw near to God, that God will draw near to you. That real Christian devotion is the daily habit of staying near the heart of God. Staying near the heart of God. And what I desire so deeply is that this community would redefine what it means to be devoted. That we would look at men like Daniel and like David and like John Wesley and like William Wilberforce. And we would be inspired to live beyond the means of our daily bread five minutes in the morning and Christian you know, radio as we drive into work. That we would go beyond that. And that we as a community would begin to actively seek God. You say, Justin, I'm 14. I don't care. The Lord hears your prayer. You say, dude, I don't even know how to read. I can barely read. That's okay. I'm like the slowest reader of all time. You'll be fine. Just seek him. You might just have to get, you know, read wicked slow. That's cool. You might be better off because this isn't a speed reading contest. This is knowing Jesus, not knowing about him, but knowing him. And I want to urge you right now. I want to stir you up. Somebody just wiped out. I want to stir you up and I want to challenge you right now to commit to a lifestyle of devotion and begin, begin with this challenge.